0: At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. This week long we've been studying together Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 23 and we're going to read that aloud together. So stand with me and let's read. This, then, is the text for today. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. May God bless the reading of His Word. This week we encounter a series of unexpected characters. Jesus gives us here three distinct people that we would rather not consider. If it was up to us, we would leave them be. Surprise visitors, kind of like Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Jar Jar was the bumbling Star Wars character that fanatics found repulsive. And so I hear that the fanatics have tried to remove him from Star Wars lore. He's one of those unexpected characters they now pretend doesn't exist. So too the church has these. But they show up and we're completely unprepared for them. So let's get to the first unexpected character. The first unexpected character that Jesus brings us here in Matthew 7 is a costumed preacher. Jesus says that they're leaders in the church, teachers, preachers, prophets alike, and they look like they are part of the flock. In, in fact, they have the costume down perfectly. They then sound like they are a part of the flock. They, they can mimic that which we say and that which we teach, but in their heart, And in their action, they are wolves out for blood. Jesus says, beware. This is a real evil among the church. Usually, these folks are guys who who want to take your money and run. Or often, they're, 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 they're preachers who just want you to shower them with praise so that their name is elevated above the kingdom of God. See, the hard reality for the church is that we don't want to admit these things. It's one of those things it's hard to look at. It's hard to admit that we would allow such a thing to happen. But there are far too many preachers and teachers and leaders in the church who have ulterior motives, where the kingdom of God is here, but, but there's something else that's elevated higher in their heart and in their life and in their ministry, and they are there And they bring devastation. You see, when they stand behind the pulpit or they teach the Word of God, something happens. And they don't don't preach Jesus alone. They preach Jesus and. They add to the gospel. They subtract to the gospel. The gospel itself is just something that's useful as a prop to another way. But they're, they're so well camouflaged in their costumes, most people never even notice. Most people miss it. See, we have fallen pastors, we have disgraced pastors, we have unethical pastors, we have perverted pastors who are still given pulpits and draw large crowds, and yet they're nowhere near the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because they know how to wear that costume well. You know, a lot of what they say sounds biblical, but it isn't. They know how to manipulate the Scriptures to make them say what they want them to say. What they profess sounds true, but it's not the gospel. It sounds spiritual, but it's completely physical. It's a, there's, there's some ways to notice this. Right? One of the ways that we notice a, a preacher, teacher, leader in costume is we listen carefully to what they say. This, this is a good thing to do. We, we want to make sure it aligns with the whole of Scripture. We, we want to make sure that, that it's built upon Scripture itself as they preach and as they teach. And that's a good thing to do. We, we all must do this for every teacher, for every preacher. But what's interesting is that's not where Jesus goes in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Jesus adds to that. In fact, He says something different. Jesus says, look for the fruit. L- look, look for the fruit of their life. And for their ministry because the, the fruit, it can't fool you in the long term. Look, look at the character of the person. Th- does that which they preach line up with their life? Can, can, you, can you see this in their actions? Can you see the gospel in their life? Now th- That's a piece of this too, but as we work with this word fruit... We have to remember what we learned a couple of months ago in, in Galatians 5, where we went through verse by verse through Galatians together. Remember, we, we got to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Scripture there says definitively, there, there's a fruit of the Spirit that looks like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that fruit, in, in Galatians talking about fruit, it sounds a lot more like attitude. It sounds a lot more like a heart behind the action. It's not even as much about the action, but it's about the heart, the motivation, why these people are doing the things they're doing. Is this teacher or this preacher or this prophet or this leader, are they filled with love? Are they filled with joy? Are they filled with patience and kindness? These sorts of things. This, this is evidence that the Spirit of God is moving. Consequently, the opposite is true. That Well, you see, if the Spirit of God is not moving in their lives, you see the opposite of those things. It's the deeds of the flesh, also mentioned Galatians 5, or, or something like this, kind of the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. If they're mean, if they're bitter, if they instigate, they're quick-tempered, rude, negative, uncommitted, they, they, they lose control, if they're, if they're rough uh, with other people, the Spirit of God is lacking. And Jesus says, look intently as they go, as they post online. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit? You know, is, this is a difficult thing. Right? So when you, you start talking about moving just from what's spoken into the heart of the person, it's a very difficult thing for us to assess. Now, Jesus can see that clearly, but that's a lot harder for us to see. See, but Jesus is definitive here. There there are preachers wearing sheep costumes out there, and they're damaging the church like a wolf in a sheep's pen. No one wants it. No one wants these unexpected costume preachers in the church But when we ignore it, it's destructive. So then there's there's another. That's the first unexpected character that Jesus takes us to today. The second unexpected character is the pro se litigant. Or it's really the the pro se litigant who loses. The the pro se litigant is the, the person who stands up in front of the court and says, I will defend myself. We, we, we see this on TV, you see it in the, the crime dramas or, or movies where you see trials happen. There, there is a, there's a trope where the, the, the main character will stand up and say, I will defend me. No lawyer can defend me. I will defend me. I know me better than anybody. I know my case better than anybody. I'm going to defend myself. And, and usually in crime shows or, or trial shows, this is the hero and the hero stands out on top, and they are victorious because who better to defend you than you? Right? That's, that's the, the theme through the cinematography. But that's not what happens in the real world. In fact, it, with, with pro se litigation, in general, it's a terrible idea. You know, it, it all matters. There's all these different um, Things to consider when you when you think through this, right? Like what, what side of the case you're on, what what level um, does this rise to in the court system? But let me give you one glance at this. Something like ninety six percent of pro se plaintiffs lose in federal court. Four, only four percent win when they defend themselves in federal court. But on the other hand, It's it's pretty remarkable how in our United States legal system, you you can defend yourself. And you might actually win. You have somewhere kind of a a 4% up to about a 15% chance of you winning that case. And that in and of itself is is a pretty remarkable piece of our judicial system. And and I mention all that. Because you've got a small chance on this earth of winning as a pro se defendant. But you have zero percent chance of winning as a pro se defendant in heaven. None. To defend yourself before God means you are bound for hell. You see, as we work down through this, Matthew 7, this, this is what Jesus is trying to wake us up to. He says, says, most people, even people who believe, they picture something like this, that when they die, they will meet their maker. And when they meet their maker, they're going to be this, this heroic hero of cinematography and be able to defend themselves before the court of God Almighty. They're going to stand there and give a good defense of their life. You see, this is, this is because we see ourselves, in general, as pretty good people. And we think, I can make a case before a judge that I'm a pretty good person. I can have a list, six, eight, ten, fifteen things. I, I did good. I, I, I did this good thing for a neighbor. And then what we like to do is we have this list of all the good things that we have done, and we say, okay, I'm going to present this. This is going to be my argument So my pro se defense, here's my list of all the good things that I have done. And on top of that, I'm going to bring in some other cases, right? I'm I'm going to look from other people that are far worse than me, and I'm going to show Jesus I did some good things, and here's a list of 10 people who are worse than I am. And that's going to be our pro se defense. What most everybody does is I'm going to stand before God, and these are my two arguments, and I'm going to say, so be it, God. And we think our defense is solid And Jesus warns us here. He says there's going to be many people who stand before the judgment seat of God and will be devastated and blindsided that their pro se defense doesn't work. Even all those false teachers. Some of those false teachers don't even know it yet. Cast into the lake of fire. But there's many others too. Jesus says depart from me. I mean, verse twenty-two is shocking. Did, did, did you say? Let's look back. Uh, Matthew seven twenty-two. Many will say to me on that day, the judgment day. Many will, will be before me, and they'll say, "Lord, Lord." Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? I mean, people prophesy. People with, with legitimate exorcisms. People with miraculous healing. Do, do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying there's, uh, some people come with a pro se defense. And, and the best people, they, they bring this, this list before God and they roll it out. And there's people on that list that say, I, I exercised a demon. There was demons among us. And I said, be God in the name of Jesus. And those demons fled. It was the most incredible thing we've ever seen. There, were, there was somebody that was paralyzed. I prayed over them, and they got up and walked. Th- that's, that's on the list of some people. And, and they bring that list to the throne of God, and Jesus says, get out of here. Real occurrences, powerful things. And Jesus says, I don't care if you miraculously healed somebody in my name be cast into the lake of fire. This is the unexpected character. The pro se litigant loses Hollywood lies. You see, I've, I've seen so many Christians aspire to these grand deeds of faith like seeing a miraculous healing. And here Jesus degrades them. I mean, why does Jesus do that? Exorcism, prophecy, healing. I mean, Jesus himself does all three of these things many times in the gospel, and here he's downplaying the very same things. Why? You know, when it comes down to it, when we're talking about this decision between heaven or hell, at the judgment seat of God, there's only one right answer. You see, when, when we stand before the judge and the judge says, What is your defense? Our mind and our flesh just immediately thinks, Pro se, defend yourself, tell God all the good stuff that you've done. And the best of us read off a list like verse 22. You know, God, I've, I've done some really innovative work. I, we impacted a lot of people. God says, what's your defense? I served my entire life for you. God says, what's your defense? He says, I worked really hard to be the best person I could be. I mean, look at, look at my record. You, you'll see it. And the judge says, Depart from me, you lawless one. Because there's only one right answer at God's throne. When the judge asks, what's your defense? The only right answer is to call on Jesus. My defense is my Lord. I have nothing to appeal to. Other than the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That he might have mercy. See, it, do- it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much good you've done on this earth. So thing, we were talking about the humiliation of humanity. Your sin negates whatever nice things you have done. Your sin condemns you, and it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ are you redeemed. Most all of humanity. We, we cheer the, the underdog pro se defendants and go get them. But to the kingdom of God, only Jesus matters. And so in verse 22, there's lots of good things listed there. Holy things. Things of the kingdom of God. But what's your defense? When you stand before the judgment seat of God, are you defending yourself? Or is Jesus your defense? It's a matter of heaven or hell. Which brings us to the third unsuspected, uh, unexpected character in today's text. The axe-wielding Christ. See, there, there are preachers and teachers who, who will, t- will tend to focus on, on, on Jesus as one who who welcomes the little ones, a kind-hearted man receiving the helpless. We we think about Jesus coming in near to the sick. Jesus commands love. These are romantic pictures of Jesus. And to be clear, they are true pictures of Jesus. But as they are romanticized, we we only get half a picture of Jesus because that that's not the whole story. That's they say piece of the story, but that's not the whole story of who the Christ is. See, Jesus is the one who holds all authority of heaven and on earth. This same Jesus gives us um, chapter Matthew seven verse nineteen: Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This savior with an axe who takes those who are unworthy and apart from him and they are thrown into the lake of fire and burned eternally. The tree analogy here is people. He's not just talking about branches and limbs. He's talking about us. He's talking about humanity, people cast into hell. You see, in the solely romantic versions of Jesus, this this is all left out. Turn over with me to Matthew 13, lest we think there's only one place in Matthew where Jesus talks about these kinds of things. Look at Matthew 13, 41 and 42. Jesus later says, The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? Those who submit to sin rather than to Christ are the lawless ones. Right? When, when we fall into temptation and we chase after things that are unholy and ungodly, we then are running away from the kingdom of God, committing treason and are enemies of that same Christ. Treasonous ones whose flesh Runs away from him. He says they will be thrown into the fire. And then back to Matthew 7. So we get to the the last part of of our reverse text for this week Matthew 7 23. This same axe wielding Christ, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawless ones. You know, these texts are hard to hear. And they're especially difficult if you picture a romantic Jesus and you think that you're a pretty good person. And, and often that's what you'll hear false teachers and preachers saying. You, you see this sort of subdued Jesus and this sense that you're okay. Okay. And everything's going to be okay. But, that, but that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the preeminent example of life. But, but, he, but he's also the final arbiter of truth. If you, if you think that Jesus is sweet and that you're a pretty good person, you've missed it. And you likely caught that from a false teacher. See, this is, this is one of their favorite sermons. Jesus is mild-mannered, and you've done plenty of positive things. But neither one of those things are true. Those are things that we like to hear. But Jesus comes, and He's preaching here, but I say to you, here is the axe-wielding Christ. You see, in, in our side of this, in our end of this, is for us to recognize this humiliation of humanity, that we're not good. We, we struggle, we're we broken-hearted. We, we fall into temptation. Sin brings devastation into our lives. And our only hope is the grace of God alone. Not even the most fantastic things we've done. We can't cling to our own actions. The only thing we can cling to is the cross of Jesus Christ, the the Holy One, set to judge the living and the dead. One more text, Acts 10, if you'll turn with me there, Acts 10, 42 and 43. I want you to hear how how Peter, he's, he's preaching. This is another sermon. It's not Pentecost, but it sounds a lot like Pentecost where Peter's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God begins to move. And, and I want you to listen to how Peter talks about Jesus in these verses. So, Acts, Acts 10, 42, and 43. And he ordered us, Jesus, Jesus ordered us to preach to the people, to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. And it's him, the Christ that all prophets bear witness that it's through His and only His name that everyone who believes in Him receives the forgiveness of their sins. You see there that Jesus is the remedy. And and we, we are caught in this web of sinfulness in this life. And it's not our actions that get us out. It's not a list of good deeds that will save you but it's by believing on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He alone is our righteousness. Apart from Him, we're nothing bound for a lake of fire. So are you ready to meet Him face to face? What will be your defense? Let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray that as we come to Your Word this morning, that it would ring true and holy. Lord, that You would anoint this place with Your Spirit. Reveal sin caught in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, bring us to repentance and forgiveness. Lord, be, be that transformative work. Lord, we, we pray that Your Spirit would come upon us and Lead us into rejoicing as we are transformed, where, Lord, we, we would die to self and be made new in Your Spirit this morning. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.